Hey everybody, this is Chris Mata, host of a podcast, A Mata of Opinion. On this show, we will be celebrating the best time of the year, football season. Each episode, we will be covering different topics such as stats, rankings, predictions, and assessments. Welcome, and stay tuned for today's episode, Week 1 Roundup. Now, the NFL lived up to its Week 1 progress. We kicked off with the Bills and Rams, and yes, it was less than an eventful day for the Rams, but the Bills came out and they looked exactly how we expected them to. They are back on the revenge tour. This is it. There is no more coin tosses. There's no more what-ifs. There's no more watching AFC Championship celebrations. This is the year the Bills will take it. I can't imagine that the Chiefs will get in the way for a third time in a row. I believe this is it for Bills Mafia. They absolutely slaughtered the Rams. Although, given, I've talked about this previously, the Rams did have the new offensive coordinator situation. They looked like they were trying out new formations. I don't know why you would pick the Bills to do that on. However, don't panic. The Rams will settle in. There's a reason McVay is the youngest coach in the league. He didn't get there by accident. Next, we're going to be going over to the Eagles and Lions game. This was a shootout from the start. Jalen Hurts came out, fired it around, He had 243 yards. Miles Sanders rushed for 96. Hurts behind him with 90 rushing yards. And believe it or not, these four players came away with a rushing touchdown. Miles Sanders, Jalen Hurts, Kenneth Gainwell, and Boston Scott. As far as receiving, A.J. Brown had 155 yards on 10 receptions. Dallas Goddard had 60 on three receptions. And that was about it. But we've learned that A.J. Brown can find his spot in this offense. There is no doubt about it. But then we're going to go look at the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff threw for 215 yards, two touchdowns. He did make one interception. But DeAndre Swift, I don't know where this man came from. Last year he's shown a little bit of what he could do. But he came in and rushed for 144 yards and one touchdown. Then we have Amon Ross St. Brown, 64 yards receiving and one touchdown. DJ Chark did have 52 yards receiving and one touchdown. And again, the score ended up being 38-35. The Lions just did not go away, and they continued to hang with the best of them. Then we move over to the rainy day, the gloomy day, the slip and slide on the field. It was the San Francisco 49ers away against the Chicago Bears. Now, this game was boring as all can be. The score was 10-7 to all the way until the third quarter, and then the Bears all of a sudden decided to score 12 points. Now, there's a lot of questions to be had about Trey Lance, but it's hard to judge him when you're coming into a torrential downpour. There were puddles all over the field. Didn't matter where you stood. You were, you were in the kiddie pool section no matter where you were out on this field. And... Again, even through all of this, he managed to put 164 yards in the air with only one touchdown, and then rushing, he did provide 54 yards of rushing. Now, the only score did come from Debo Samuel and his one touchdown through a rush. Nothing else really happened there. I mean, again, you can be pretty impressed that Trey Lance was still able to put up any kind of numbers in that kind of weather. And then for the Bears, it was a much-needed win, something for the franchise to get excited about, but we can see how they'll actually perform when the weather clears up and their next opponent shows up. 
Moving on to the Steelers and Bengals game. This was one of those games where nobody wanted to win. The Steelers have been in this scenario before. They had a game like this against the Browns previously. I forget which year. But here we go. By the end of the first quarter, the score was 10-3 Steelers. Then it was 17-3 Steelers by the end of the second. Moving into the final minutes of the fourth quarter. Joe Burrow does lead the team down all the way to the opposing end. Throws a last-minute touchdown to Jamar Chase. We're talking there is four seconds left on this clock. At this point, the game is tied 20-20, to and they still have to kick the extra point attempt. So the Bengals come out with their kicker. They line it up, and it gets blocked by Fitzpatrick. The Steelers block this thing, and it sends it into overtime. Now, in overtime, it doesn't get any better. The Steelers come out. They do a three and out. The Bengals do a three and out. Then they even attempt to kick field goals each and both miss. Now, what it comes down to is a deja vu moment for Joe Burrow. He gets the final possession of the game just to make a drive and attempt to kick a field goal. Well, he ends up taking a sack, losing the ball. Steelers recover, drive it down about 15 yards, set it up, and kick their field goal to win it. Now, Joe Burrow, Joe Burr, was looking more like Joe Fluke this game. Not only did he throw four interceptions, but he also did cough up the game-losing fumble. All in all, a cold start for him. He will be back next week to battle against the Cowboys, who will be without Dak Prescott, but we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute because we're going to go to the Patriots and Dolphins game. Now, the Dolphins came out looking absolutely sharp. They demolished the Patriots on both sides of the ball, Final score was 20-7. to I was actually very surprised by how Tua looked very comfortable with all the weapons that he was given. Tyreek Hill, of course, came out and did Tyreek Hill things, but Tua Tagovailoa ended up with 270 yards and one touchdown. But all in all, it was Jalen Waddell who came away with the only receiving touchdown of the day. He had 69 yards on four catches. Moving into our next heartbreak hotel, it was the Cleveland Browns against the Carolina Panthers. Now, the first quarter was an absolute bummer. But in the second quarter, the Cleveland Browns score 17 points compared to the Panthers' 7. And then it goes into the third quarter where the score becomes Cleveland 20, the Panthers' 7. It is 20-7 going into the fourth quarter, but somehow the Carolina Panthers managed to find some sort of will to score 17 points in the fourth quarter. They managed to take the lead... 24 to 23 with about a minute and a half to go in the game. Now the Browns get the ball back at their own 30 and they have to make a drive all the way to the other side of the field just to try and get a field goal off to win this game. Now what happens is Jacoby Brissett is hit in the face by one of the defensive ends. Now this was a controversial call, but they called it illegal hands to the face or whatever. It gives them that 15-yard penalty that keeps the drive alive and moves them even further. Lo and behold, the Browns get into field goal range and end up having to kick a 58-yard field goal to win it all. And that is how the Panthers go down week one. Now, it wasn't all bad. Baker Mayfield did look great in his appearance. Christian McCaffrey showed former flashes of his self. So I'm sure the Panthers will get this all figured out and become more competitive as the season goes on. The next game that we have is just as close. We have the Colts and the Texans squaring off. In similar fashion, 
The Colts score three points in the first quarter. Then the Houston Texans go to score 20 unanswered points. Going into the fourth quarter, the score is 20-3. to Somehow the Colts managed to score 17 points in the fourth quarter. Of course, the last seven were on a two-minute drive led by Matt Ryan storming down the field just trying to send the game into overtime. Now, once it goes into overtime, of course, you can tell absolutely nothing happens. All the kickers shank everything. Their hopes and dreams gone, dead, probably kicked off the team. But the biggest loser of that game is definitely the fans. Nobody watches three hours for a freaking tie. So I'm asking the NFL, edit your rule book just so we can get a winner because I am tired of seeing these ties around the league. And I'm pretty sure everybody else is too. Nobody wants to say I watch my team for three hours to watch them tie. Moving on to our next nail biter. We have the Jaguars and the Commanders. The score was 14 to 12. Commanders going into the fourth quarter which each team would put up significant points. The Jaguars added 10 more points, and the Commanders added 14. Now, the way this one goes, there's a minute 50 left in the fourth quarter. The Commanders are third and eight on the Jacksonville 25-yard line. Now, Wentz winds this up, holds onto it as long as he can, fires it to the back left corner of the end zone, and it lands directly into the hands of the rookie, Jahan Dotson. The score changes. Commanders get 28. Jaguars have 22. Now, Trevor Lawrence has an opportunity to respond. It's third and 11 on their own 45, and he tries to make something out of nothing. He rolls out to his left, gives a couple pump fakes, leaves something out to hang in the air, and it gets intercepted, and that's how the Commanders end that game. Now, again, there's a couple takeaways here. ETN dropped a couple of easy passes for the Jaguars, and I would be honestly a little bit upset about that, especially if you're talking about him outperforming James Robinson. But J-Rob outperformed ETN yet again. I don't know why they want to mess with that man. Just play the hot hand. As far as the commanders go, Wentz looked sharp, and you got shocked by how well Jahan Dotson performed as a rookie wide receiver opposite of Terry McLaurin. Let's watch out for this dynamic duo as the season continues. But wait, there's more. We haven't even gotten to the Saints and Falcons game. Believe me, I needed a pacemaker after this Sunday finished. We have Jameis Winston, who threw for 269 yards, two touchdowns, Taysom Hill, who rushed for 81 yards and one touchdown. And as far as receiving goes... It was Michael Thomas making his return. Only 57 yards, but that was already with two touchdowns. On the opposite side, we have Marcus Mariota making his debut with the Falcons. He was on the bench for the Raiders forever. He steps up to the challenge, completes 20 of 33 passes with 215 yards. Sadly, no touchdowns, but that's okay. Cordero Patterson picks up the slack on 22 carries, 120 yards with one touchdown. Then Marcus Mariota rushes 12 times for 72 yards, and adds another touchdown to that stat line. At the start of the fourth quarter, the Falcons were up 26-10 to on the Saints. Winston will then go on to throw a touchdown to Michael Thomas in the back left corner of the end zone, and then the following drive, throw a touchdown to the back right of the end zone to the rookie Olave. It is then 18-26 Falcons, but then 
the Saints will hold the Falcons on defense again, force a three and out. The Saints go down to drive. And then again, it is Winston to the front left corner of the end zone on a back shoulder comeback route. And it's Michael Thomas again. The score is now 24 Saints, 26 Falcons. There is 47 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And Jamis Winston launches another one deep downfield. And this time it's Landry falling backwards along the left sideline and just brings it in just outside the 35-yard line, which shortly after, Jamise Winston will throw across the middle to the tight end for another 15-yard gain, and that's where they spike the ball with 25 seconds left to kick the field goal. That's what shifts the score, 27 Saints, 26 Falcons. The Falcons get one last-ditch effort to come down the field and try and win this game. Now, there's a couple of penalties and everything that happened at the end of the game because in reality they stopped at their own 45 and that's where the game should have ended however there were a couple of dead ball fouls by the Saints so the Falcons get to line up for a 63 yard attempt and young Wei Koo comes out and attempts this kick and it is immediately blocked the Saints win the game 27-26 just to throw a couple of the no-brainers out there the Chiefs did pound the Cardinals 44 to 21 we had the Buccaneers smash the Cowboys 19-3. Big side note on that game is Dak Prescott is expected to miss at least six games with a fractured right thumb. During a couple of plays on the back end of his throwing motion, he did slam it into a defensive player's helmet, and that was on two back-to-back plays. Again, expected to miss at least six games. Then we move to the Packers and the Vikings. Now, we know the Vikings have a new head coach, and we're wondering what is he going to be able to do? Well, he pops off on the Packers and beats them 23-7. to Justin Jefferson looking absolutely unstoppable. You could see the frustration building on Aaron Rodgers' face. There was a big play that was dropped along the sideline by one of his rookie receivers, and this was just a wide-open drop. If he could just manage to find some way to catch this, he could walk into the end zone. But that pretty much summarizes that day. Justin Jefferson was all over the place and the Packers could not find a way to click. Now, to cover the Raiders and the Chargers, the Chargers just came out firing on all cylinders and really left the Raiders wondering what is going on. By the time the fourth quarter had hit, the score was 24-13. to Now, the final score ended up 24-19, to and that was just making it look better than it actually was. Justin Herbert came out with 279 yards and three touchdowns, Austin Eckler was a little stifled in the rush game. He only had 36 yards on 14 attempts. On the opposite side, we do have Derek Carr, who came out with 295 yards and two touchdowns, but he also threw three interceptions. There was no rushing touchdowns from Josh Jacobs. Devontae Adams did have 141 yards receiving with one touchdown on only 10 catches. That is still pretty impressive. But the Chargers' defense was the difference there, creating three turnovers against Derek Carr. And just so they don't feel left out, we do have the Ravens and the Jets. The Ravens went out and handled business. Even though it took a lot longer than expected, the Ravens did come up on top 24-9. Finally, moving on to the last heart-stopping game of Sunday. It was the New York Giants against the Tennessee Titans, and this was the most surprising of them all. The score was 13-0 to at the start of the third quarter. 
the Titans had them exactly where they wanted the entire game. They were pressing, pressing, pressing. That was all until Saquon Barkley takes a handoff from his own 10-yard line and rushes it down the left sideline all the way into the opposite 20-yard line. From there, it is just a couple of more hands off, and he is in the end zone for the first time in two seasons, looking like his old self. The Giants manage to continue to stuff the Titans, so the score remains 13-6, and then around the eight-minute mark of the third quarter, and what I would call a freak play, because we'll probably only see this two more times in the season from Daniel Jones, but he rocks back, looks left, and rips one down the sideline to Sterling Shepard, which he catches at the opposite 30 and runs it all the way in for a touchdown. The score will sit at 13-13 until 2 minutes and 55 seconds left into the third quarter. Tannehill will throw a pass to his running back, Hilliard, for a 15-yard touchdown that will give them the lead. The score is now 20-13, Titans leading. Daniel Jones will then respond. They drive all the way down to the Titans' one-yard line, snap the ball, Daniel Jones will throw a nice two-yard pass to his tight end, making the score 19-20. to Now, mind you, the Giants have a brand new head coach. So what do you do? Do you kick the extra point and tie it and hope for overtime, or do you go for two? The Giants go for two, and Daniel Jones does a nice shovel pass up the middle, much like the Kansas City Chiefs do all the time, right to Saquon Barkley, and they convert the two-point try. The score is now 21-20 Giants. Now, Tannehill gets one last try to respond. There's one minute left on the clock. They manage to drive all the way down to the Giants' 30-yard line, spike the ball, get the kicker out. So here comes Bullock lining it up. The kick goes up, and he completely shanks it left. That's it. The game is over. The Giants win 21-20 what a freaking heartbreak. As far as week one in the NFL, you cannot ask for anything better. We had over four games that went down to the wire, and we have 17 more weeks of football. And now we move into our final game of the week. It was the Broncos against the Seahawks, Russell Wilson against his old team. Starting off, Geno Smith drove right down the field to give them a 7 to nothing lead. On the night, Geno Smith went for 23 of 28 passing, 195 yards, and two touchdowns. As far as rushing, there were no rushing touchdowns today. Rashad Penny was the leader, 12 carries for 60 yards. And as far as receiving goes, it was Will Disley with 43 yards and a touchdown. Then there was Colby Parkinson, 43 yards and one touchdown. DK Metcalf had seven catches, 36 yards. Tyler Lockett, three catches and 28 yards, so definitely leaning more towards the tight end in the short game. But you cannot complain about how Geno Smith spread the ball around. It was actually surprising how smooth this offense looked. But going to the opposite side, we have Russell Wilson, who came out for 340 yards, one touchdown. He was 29 of 42 attempts. There was Melvin Gordon, who rushed for 58 yards on 12 attempts, and Javante Williams, who rushed for 43 yards on seven attempts. Now we have Jerry Judy, who finally seems to have woken up and will be the receiver everybody thought he could be. He had 102 yards, four receptions, and one touchdown. Cortland Sutton had four receptions and 72 yards, and then Javante Williams had 11 receptions for 65 yards. 
So to break this down, yes, Geno Smith looks sharp. The Seattle defense was stout in the red zone. However, you look at the Broncos. They had two fumbles inside the 10-yard line that cost them points. You have Russell Wilson, who hit two receivers in the back of the end zone, and they each dropped a touchdown pass. So we are talking about at least 21 points that the Broncos just gave away. That is not even going to the penalty yardage that they got on false starts. Their two-minute drill looks sloppy like they've never practiced it. And let me tell you, Seattle is not the place you want to attempt this for the first time. You're not going to be able to hear anybody. Audible's next to impossible. They could barely get going without a false start. And to make matters worse, here we go. The score is 16 Broncos, 17 Seahawks. There is four minutes and two seconds left to go. Broncos have the ball. They drive all the way down to the Seattle 46-yard line. There is one minute and 11 seconds left. It is fourth and five. And my mind is absolutely losing it at this point. The Broncos have three timeouts in their pocket, They are allowing this 1 minute and 11 seconds to just run off the clock. What is going on here? I'm thinking maybe they're letting this run out because they're all thinking about what play they want to run on this 4th and 5. But Hackett, because what a hack he actually is, lets this run all the way down to 20 seconds, and then he burns his first time out. And then you're thinking, okay, what trick play is he dialing up just so they can convert this fourth and five. No. No, he does not. Instead, he brings out the kicker McManus to attempt a 64-yard field goal. A 64-yard field goal. And of course, he just shanks it. And that's it. Game's over. Hackett's over here still trying to call timeouts like, yeah, we can get the ball back. Like, what are you doing? That is the most rookie mistake that I've ever seen. And I watch a lot of Seattle football, and usually they're the ones that are terrible in the two-minute drive and clock management. But wow, this man just won up them by a mile. There is no way you bring in Russell Wilson, pay him over $200 million, he gets you into these red zone scenarios to where your running backs just decide to give the game over, to where your receivers decide to drop everything in the end zone, and then he's going to drive you down and get a fourth and five. You convert this, this turns a 60-yard field goal into arguably at least a 48-yard field goal. You're kidding, and you choose to send out the kicker. Oh, man, the guy you just paid, at least give him a chance to fail. And we're talking about Russell Wilson. I get it. If you got a rookie quarterback, if you're still stuck with Locke, I completely understand why the kicker is your Hail Mary. But you have so many other options. And it's five yards. This is not a fourth and 10 or fourth and 15. This is a manageable fourth and five. I can't believe they blew that. But whatever. Broncos country, let's ride. On to the next week to hopefully a head coach can actually make decisions instead of just watching this game tick away and then remember, oh yeah, it's actually my job now. I'm the head coach. I can call a timeout. But that's just, ah, that's just a motto of opinion. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to follow and share.